This is Broke Money Hustle. And now, here's Broke Money Hustle with Trico and Eric. Hey, what is happening out there in the world of broke money? Uh, it's good to hear, uh, see you guys again. Well, not see, but good to talk to you guys again. Uh, my name is Eric, and this is Broke Money Hustle. I am, of course, joined once again by my intrepid co-host, Trico, A-A-K-A-T-J. How you doing, man? Doing pretty good. Pretty good. It's a new day in the market, so that's always... Uh... I guess good, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was kind of a bittersweet day for me. I had uh, a few things go up and a few things kind of go down. Uh, unfortunately, my uh, A number one stock, IDEX, Ideonomics, uh, suffered a, a, a low. Uh, I think it got down to $1.38 at one point today. And uh, it's, uh, it's it's having to shrug off, shrug off some bad uh, bad PR from those last two hit pieces from those big shorters. But they just put out a press release today. They have a major investor of a hedge fund uh, coming in that holds over 2 million shares or something like that. I haven't read the full paper yet, but they do have earnings coming out in August. So I think that share is just going to kind of bump and fizzle and kind of stay around between $1.40 and $2 until we, we get those earnings reports in, which is what I've seen with some of the stocks that I have. It seems like they don't they don't pop until they get an earnings report or some PR because the, the market is just completely fickle uh, right now. It's so reactionary. Uh, what, exactly. What's been your experience today? Uh, just uh, been kind of quiet with everything lately. Um, I uh, Usually my funds get deposited every Monday, like $25 for me to kind of play around with for the week. Um, I haven't bought anything so far this week or last week. I think I did one day trade last week. And other than that, everything I, I look at uh, – it looks like things that I thought were a good deal a couple weeks ago, they're below what I even bought them for. So I'm, right now I'm just kind of holding on and uh, kind of seeing what they're going to do with the uh, the uh, unemployment thing they have going on. Um, if that ends at the end of the month, I'm thinking if they don't renew it, a lot of stocks are probably going to you know start like going down a lot. So then I can kind of stock up on everything. If they renew it, then I'm going to go and buy a bunch of stuff before the stock market goes back up again. So just kind of in a holding pattern, kind of saving all the money in the account for, you know, a big buy on the next dip. Yeah. One of the uh, picks I talked about on Saturday that I've been dating, FUV, um, they had a really good day today. That's the stock ticker. The company's name is RC Moto when they make these small EV vehicles for delivery and paramedics and first responders that they can carry two passengers or you can use it as a little delivery wagon. And uh, yeah, they went up another 6% today, which uh, was pretty nice. nice. Sitting at 725 and I bought them in at uh, 539. So nice. uh, that's been a a nice little company. And Workhorse was on sale today and I didn't uh, have any money in the account to buy it. I just noticed it in after hours it was on sale. So uh, maybe I can pick that stock up again tomorrow. Yeah. Um, other than that, we do have a really nice show. We have another guest with us today, uh, Dave Herndon. Um, he has multiple side hustles. Uh, I've heard, I've been told by my co-host here, he's into enamel pins and some other things like that. So we're going to bring him on shortly. 
and uh, get to uh, uh, have him tell us a little bit about his businesses and his experience as an entrepreneur. And, uh, you know, if he's got any investment experience, I do want to remind everybody that uh, we are not professional anythings. We're, <laughs> well, we have some professional skills, but it's certainly not in investing and anything of that nature. So please do not take any of our ideas or any of our picks seriously. Take it with a grain of salt. Do your own due diligence. Look up these companies we mentioned and uh, give, them, uh, give them a look over before you do any investing. If you're going to invest any large amounts of money, please consult a professional financial advisor. Can't stress that enough. And uh, yeah, and just welcome to this journey. Uh, we started this little podcast to try to help people in our situation, sort of blue collar paycheck to paycheck types, um, not be afraid of investing or try to pay ourselves first and grow the small resources that we have so that we can kind of get out of that paycheck to paycheck world. And um, so far, so good. And uh, we're glad to uh, have you with us wherever you're listening. We are on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and a few other different podcast places. And of course, you can join us in the comment section. We are live now on YouTube and Facebook. And if you've got a question or comment, uh, chime on in and we'll put it up on the board and do our best to stumble over it. Uh, you got any other intro remarks before I bring in our guest? No, no, I'm uh, I'm excited. He's got like a million different side hustles and he's got a really good uh, head for business and business acumen. So I'm really excited to have him on here. All right. Well, without further ado, we are bringing in Dave Herndon. Dave, how are you doing today? And thank you for joining us. Oh, I'm uh, doing pretty well. Uh, ironically enough, you're bringing me on, uh, you know, talking about my business acumen, yada, yada. Today's my first day of being laid off from my job. So. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, That's good. Good thing you got side hustles then. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's just temporary furlough. I'm in the news industry for my for my day job, and with ad revenues dropping and everything, like in order to save jobs, we've been taking intermittent furloughs for a couple months. So I get the week off and get to sit and draw unemployment and work on my side hustles. Nice. Wow. That's awesome, though. You know, and it's important that you bring up a good point. We can't always rely on the day job, you know, because of you know, there's other factors. We have the thing that should not be impacting us right now and you've uh, you sound like you had a good uh, good plan to have some other backups in mind tell us a little bit about what got you into the idea of doing some other more entrepreneurial things and not just uh, focusing on the one day job well uh, I've, I made a lot of poor decisions in life let's start with that okay <laughs> I, I, I got very deep into some college debt P picked a, I've got six college degrees uh, don't use any of them oh my gosh. Um, I chose to go into the news industry at the time when newspapers are dying and, and salaries are dropping and they've been going that way forever. So I haven't gotten a raise more than 1% in 15 years. And it's just like, well, at some point you got to figure out what you want to do to how you're going to make money. You know, cost of living keeps going up. My paycheck doesn't. So I had to find a way to, uh, to pay the bills. Right. Uh, absolutely. I hear you there. So I picked the perfect side business for being locked at home. You know, I set up at comic book conventions and whatnot with a lot of my stuff. And so it's the perfect side business for being stuck at home when nobody can leave the house or gather in large groups. So how much, because uh, I know I do the convention scene too, or at least did. And uh, that's, it's really hurt me a lot to uh, not have that income anymore. I'm getting a few stuff with online sales. How are you, how are you faring with uh, during the thing that should not be with your uh, side businesses? 
Well, my my online sales, I, I had I, I had been doing pretty well for a while. I, I had shut down a lot of my online accounts, or a, a lot of my sales accounts in January or so, because February, March, April are when I'm really busy in the con scene. I just don't want to have to worry about like shipping stuff during that time when I have a show almost every weekend. So I, I had put everything on hold there right as things started to grind to a halt in the real world. So it was kind of bad timing, but I was able to kind of flip a switch, get back, get back onto it. My online sales are up probably 250% over where they normally are for, for a year. Nice. Uh, but it's still just a small fraction of what I would have been doing if we were at shows. Yeah, like, oh, I definitely hear that. Like my, my last show was in February. Uh, it was actually the auto show, the uh, the Autorama, and uh, down oh yeah, old, down to the old Kobo. That was that was the last show I set up at. I had a show in Toledo that I was supposed to set up at, like literally the day they they locked down the state of Ohio. So like, I had no warning that like, hey, we're not going to do this. Oh man, so uh, uh, it kind of came without any warning. You kind of uh, had to reorientate your business more from. Uh, being there in person at shows to kind of be in more of an online presence. Huh? Is there um, anything particular that you've done? Because the increase you had, you said it was over 200%. That's amazing. Is there anything you mostly can attribute that to? Uh, well, part of that is due, due to like my, my furloughs and all that. I've I had, I, this is now my fourth week of furlough over the course of the last four months. So like I was able to like sit and focus on actually working and building new products during that time. So, so I've been debuting new products that I normally wouldn't do this time of the year. Mm -hmm. Normally all my new products come from like mid November through the second week of January, because that's when I have time off of shows for the most part. I don't normally do a lot of creating during this time, but I, I've, I've designed, I think 12 new enamel pins since March. And rather than like saving them to launch at shows, I've been launching them online I did a couple as pre-sales, uh, but for the most part, like I found a new manufacturer to work with, where my my uh, my pricing's down probably twenty percent over what norm normally would be for my production cost. That's awesome. That's a good savings. And because most people don't realize, like I, either I was overpaying before or whatever, but like I've kept my prices the same and managed to save twenty percent or so on production. So my my profit margins are way up too. Nice. nice. That's really good. Um, so then, uh, so you're using your time really, really well to kind of develop your side hustle and everything. That's something I've always kind of advocated since, you know, the thing that shall not be named kind of gave all of us a bunch of extra time on our hands to uh, that everyone needs to use it wisely, work on your side hustle, come out of this, uh, uh, you know, quarantine that we have going on with uh, a lot stronger uh, side business and um, hopefully a lot better finances. So it sounds like sounds like you're doing that and making it happen. So that's awesome. Well, it, it, in that specific angle, I am. Other than like the fact that, like I said, I'm like my sales in general, like in person, would would have been way higher though. Mm -hmm. So like I'm still not making nearly the amount of money I normally would, but like just the online side is where I'm up. Cool. And I think a lot of that has to do with people being stuck at home and not going anywhere and shopping too. I don't think it's specifically things I'm doing. Oh, I hear you there. I, uh, I find myself looking around on Amazon a lot more because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> there's, there's nowhere to go. So I'm like a lot of things I want to buy before. I'm like, ah, I'll just buy it now. Cause it, I don't have anything else to do. I even bought like a, a couple weeks ago. I bought like a lock picking set 
because when I was a kid, I always wanted one because I thought it would be cool. And they actually make them, and it was uh, fairly fairly inexpensive. So I was like, oh man, I I could do that. I still haven't used it yet, but you know, I <laughs> normally if we weren't under quarantine, I probably wouldn't have bought it. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, uh, take us through um, kind of like without giving away any of your trade secrets or anything. Take us through what kind of process because. You make you 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 seem like you make a variety of different things that you're selling online, but you sell them at shows. So, how do you pick what things you want to do? How did you get into enamel pins, that kind of thing? Well, it 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 all really started that, as both of you know, you know me. Uh, mm -hmm. um, I'm massively obsessed with Ninja Turtles. <laughs> like that's how the whole side business started. It was like. I want to make Ninja Turtle stuff or like, I want to sell Ninja Turtle stuff. I want to finance my collection without it coming out of my pocket. So it's like, well, what can I do to where I can afford to buy more Ninja Turtle toys and stuff? So I started the business and I actually started uh, buying like charms and whatnot from China and chains and all that. And like making jewelry, like necklaces, stuff like that. Cause I'm like, I don't see a lot of people doing this at, at conventions. My, my job at the time allowed me to go to a lot of conventions you know, I was a newspaper writer, so I would go there on a press pass and wander around, take photos and everything. So I kind of would go to a bunch of shows. I kind of saw what wasn't being sold, and I'm like, I could do that. So I started making stuff that way. My first year, sales weren't great, but they were good enough to, to finance a year two. Um, I bought a bunch of knockoff Legos one some, one, one, one winter because I, <laughs> I was bored. I'm like, I've got like six weeks. I'm going to sit and build Legos. And maybe I'll make necklaces or, or keychains or whatever out of them. I realized that I could sell a, a keychain for like five bucks, but it took nice. me like 15 minutes between building it, drilling out the stuff to make the necklace and all that out of the Lego. Or I could just sell the Lego without it, uh, build it and sell it for four bucks. And, and like the profit margin was way higher just to sell the figure than, than the actual make the jewelry. So I started oh, doing yeah. that. Uh, made sure I ma definitely made sure I let people know that they were the knockoff import ones. I don't want anybody to, to think I was trying to sell the real stuff. Um, especially at my prices, you'd never think most people shouldn't believe that anyway, but I, I never want anybody to think they're getting something from me. That's not what it is, but that allowed me then to get bigger booths and then to fill bigger space. Like I started making more stuff. Um, I actually started writing some books. I've got a couple of my own books coming out this year. Um, like, like, so the import export really is what, what allowed me to start like expanding. Although that's kind of dying off a bit too now with the increased tariffs and shipping prices going way through the roof. You got um, the enamel pin thing though, like I started buying Ninja Turtle pins and then I realized like, Hey, these are people making custom pins. I don't have to buy just like the, the Mirage studio or the, or the playmate versions or now it's Nickelodeon. Like there's all these custom ones, but I'm not an artist. So like I started out the very first time I was taking photos of my toys and then turning those photos into vector files, having the vector files turn into, into uh, pins and selling them that way. And so it was like, Hey, everybody wants this, this April O'Neil news van, but nobody wants to spend the $700 to buy the toy. I'll make an inch and a half enamel pin, sell it for 10 bucks and, and I'll sell a ton of them. And it didn't sell all that well, but it sold well enough that it financed me doing a second one. And I was like, hey, what's popular right now? So I did Stranger Things. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Nah, that was during season one. And I was like, it didn't sell nearly as well. And then Netflix tried to sue me and yada, yada. Oh, seriously? Well, they, they sent me a cease and desist order. So th those are no longer for sale. 
Um, they, they are, however, still being given away because I still have lots of the 100 I made. They're being okay. given away with online orders. But so I went back to, I, I made some other Ninja Turtle designs and I did some of my own, my own original designs. Mostly these days I hire an artist. I pay them either cash or in pins themselves. And uh, so, so I'll take like an idea I have, go to an artist, be like, well, are you willing to do this? What's your, you know, if, if we can work out a deal that I have the pin made. Because, like, I can't draw a stick figure and make it look like a person. <laughs> I hear you there. Uh, is, the, is the pen, is that outsourced overseas as well, or do you have production here in the States? There, there's actually not a single uh, large factory that will make an enamel pin in anywhere in the U.S. Oh. Uh, the, the, the byproduct of making it is not necessarily legal here. Oh. So pretty much oh, you're looking yeah. at China, Japan, Taiwan. There, there's a couple factories elsewhere, but... Almost, almost every enamel pin you see is made in one of those three countries. Cool. So that was that was pretty cool. You found like a nice uh, like market niche, and uh, you know the naturally Ninja Turtles have like a really good following, and it, it was a nice little like niche and everything because people that like you said that enjoyed the uh, April O'Neil van from the TV show they can't afford the toy, so you know the next best options to. Uh, by the pin that they can, you know, put on and, and wear all the time, whereas you can't really carry around a toy all the time. Well, and, and that's kind of what I did with, like, my first 10 designs or so, other than that Stranger Things one. Mm -hmm. It was just, like, what would I want? Like, what pin doesn't exist that I want? And then from there, I kind of expanded more, like, well, now I need to sell stuff that the customers want, not just me, because they want more stuff than just what I have. <laughs> they want something besides Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Well, and like I was never into like horror movies or anything, but like the horror crowd is big on this stuff. It's like, well, why should I cut myself out of that side of the market just because it's not for me? Excellent. So I do, I do have a line of horror stuff going to be coming out later in the year. Oh wow, that should be. I know, I know, horror is crazy. Sometimes crazy money. Like the fans are just voracious for that kind of stuff. So um, that that sounds like a cool uh, extra market to get into. Um, so is uh, other than the enamel pins, is there anything else that you'd like to highlight that you uh, that you uh, that you manufacture? Um, I'm not really manufacturing anything else specifically right now. I, I am going to start doing some of the enamel pin designs as like necklaces, mm -hmm. but um, that that's pretty much using the same mold, just adding a little ring to it and not putting the the pin back on it. Because I, I do still think there's a there's a market for some of this stuff as jewelry. I'm not sure somebody wants like the three inch arcade game as a necklace, but maybe some of the other items. <laughs> I don't know. That might be kind of cool. <laughs> that would be awesome. But I'm not sure I could sell necessarily like a hundred of them. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Man, you know, I just thinking of like the one up arcades that came out. I don't have room for those, but if I saw an enamel pin of like an old street fighter arcade cabinet or a Neo Geo one, I'd buy that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Well, the, the, uh, the, the Ninja Turtle arcade cabinet one, that was the third pin I designed and I sold out of it in six weeks. I've really? never, I've never completely sold out of another pin yet. Um, I, I have anywhere from like five to twenty of a lot of designs left, but I've never sold out of any of them. But I sold out of that one in six weeks. Nice. But I promise, I promise my customers all the time, like I will never <laughs> make more than a hundred of these. So I stuck to it and didn't reorder them, even though I probably would have made a fortune. Wow. <laughs> You're a lot better man than me. I would have called up my uh, <laughs> my manufacturer like, yeah, I need another thousand. <laughs> Only label them one to a hundred, though. <laughs> well, I'm really thinking about doing like a, a paint variant of it. Maybe make it glow in the dark or do different painting. Because like to me, that's different than the initial hundred. 
Oh, exactly. That'd be awesome. Then you don't have the tooling cost of making a new enamel pin, but you have an, another product to sell. So yeah, that that's my thought on that one, but I'm still leery because like that that was three years ago, and I was like, I don't know. I did promise I'd only do a hundred, and I didn't mention maybe doing variants <laughs> in the future. So I'm I'm more I'm more careful with my wording these days. I make sure like I'm only going to do fifty of this paint scheme of that design. Right. That, that yeah, way, nobody yeah. questions if I want to do it in a different scheme later. Give your give yourself an out. What uh, what's what's your average turnaround time from getting final art done? to uh, getting the, the, the physical pin in your hand. How long does that take? Um, di discounting like any of the the, dis the, uh, the problems we had during early in the year when a lot of the stuff over in China was shut down. Right. Uh, but mm -hmm. during typical production, for, from the time I finish a pin, like I prove the final art to the time I have it in hand is normally 18 to 25 days. That's not too bad. No, it, it it's really not. The factory I'm working with now is is really good about that. I have a very low flaw rate. I normally get about ninety five percent that are, that are good. Uh, which is that that's part of the problem in this industry is a lot of times when you find the company that'll do it cheap, their flaw rate's really high. Yeah. So trying to find a a a, a good middleman in there, a good middle ground, I guess, not a middleman. I work direct with the factory to to keep the prices cheaper, but. Uh, the one fa the the one company where I made my first pin, it was costing me almost six dollars a unit to make them, and they sell for around ten. Like that's just not worth it if you're not selling out quick. Right. Um, nowadays, like the per unit fee with shipping everything, I can get them under three dollars normally. Nice. Those are some good margins right there. Yeah. So you have about a seventy percent margin on that, but then like if you're selling it, if you sell it through eBay, eBay takes a roughly ten percent cut. PayPal mm -hmm. takes. About four and a half percent. So that's oh, still, yeah. leaves, still leaves you about sixty, anywhere from fifty-five to sixty percent uh, profit margin, though. Yeah, and that's still a pretty decent profit margin, considering yeah. like you know what some other things can give you something really low. Like we get excited over our stock going up two percent. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. Like, like outside of like art prints, like I don't know that there's really anything with a better margin on it, like in the comic book industry, like the Comic Con world. Yeah, like actually yeah. producing a comic, your margins are so razor thin for the most part, especially if you're just doing small uh, direct printing, uh, digital print, print runs. You might order 100 copies at a buck, you know, buck and a half, $2 a piece, maybe even 250 if they're really nice cover stock and stuff like that. And then you're turning around for four, maybe $4 if you're lucky, $5. Yeah, uh, yeah five, five bucks if you're, if, you, if you're somewhat famous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And and then and then it's just like that's such a high volume that you have to cover financially to, to get your initial purchase. Now I don't recall. I, I apologize if you already touched on that, but uh, your your minimums. I'm sure the factory has minimums. Yeah. Um. Actually, the factory I'm working with now doesn't have a minimum. I I could literally make one of a pin if I wanted to, but you have to pay you have to pay the the tooling cost, which is a set fee, no matter how many you make. And then, right. like your, your unit cost, and like they're not gonna want to make a single pin. <laughs> but they, I mean, they would, but then they, they charge me like a if I order less than a hundred, they charge me a, a a sampling fee on top of that. Okay, I uh, gotcha. But I have done, especially like limited runs of like fifteen of a certain color, like of a color variant. But I still end up ordering like anywhere from seventy-five to hundred of the design, just different color variants. 
and depending on how low they order you go there sometimes they charge you for the sampling fee for under 100 of each of each color um that really just depends on if if your uh, rep is being nice or not for the day really <laughs> if they're in a good mood um and for the most part like i do pretty good stuff um I, I work with an artist friend there who helps me like with with the exact final designs of the pins these days um misty bondi art if you guys i'm not sure if you guys know her or not but she's she's an amazing artist um especially with the pin stuff like she's she's got it down uh very well so I pay, I pay her a small fee to fix like the lines and coloring specifically for enamel pin stuff cool. and she she's made my designs a thousand percent better like you can clearly see when she started working with me when she didn't like the designs are way better but uh she she got a pin in today that where they forgot to put the uh the epoxy coating over it one, one that she had made for a friend of hers Ooh. and like oh. It's only like twenty twenty dollars for the for the run of a hundred to do it, but like the pin looks really not good without it. And like they went ahead and they they forgot to take a photo of it and send it to her before they shipped them out. And then they shipped them to her, so now they're gonna have to remake all hundred and send them to her. Mm. Send them new ones, mm. which that that's kind of like from from a business perspective. Okay, now now we're, she's gonna end up. You know, with with basically a, a second variant of all these pins, what one with the enamel, one one without. But like she could sell all the other ones at a discount, but they were all completely free to her. So that that's like a huge margin. Sure. Yeah. Like it's actually a, it helps because like it's going to be vastly different from what she wanted, but it doesn't necessarily look bad, at least to me as a non-artist. And like so now all of a sudden like she can double her profit margins on those because like the company doesn't want them back; they're just going to have to throw them out. Mm -hmm. And like, like, like it's bad that it happened because now it's a, it's another month behind for the artist to get their their stuff and all that. It was something she did special for a friend of hers. But like at the same time, we don't have we don't have comic cons or anything going on right now. So like outside of a few online sales, like it's actually not going to hurt her all that bad for the timing. Yeah, that's true. It could she get like a uh, clear coat enamel, like a a spray or something, and and spray over the pins. Well, it was supposed to be like an epoxy filling to put over it to make it look like a hard enamel pin without being hard enamel. Oh, okay. I gotcha. So, I mean, like she probably could, but I'm not sure it'd be worth the, the I'm not sure it would be worth it since the company's going to end up having to remake them anyway, since she paid for it already. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And uh, so for a while, um, you were also in like the real estate game or something, huh? Um. I, I had some rental properties for a while. I really didn't like it, but um, basically it was just, uh, it started out with just the house I had bought. When I, when I bought it, they had some renters living in it. Mm -hmm. And while I was really looking forward to moving into my house, I realized like I was paying like 700 bucks a month rent where I was living. The renter was paying me a thousand dollars a month. It's like, well, why move when I'm making money off it? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So rather than, rather than throwing her out of her lease, I let her stay a year and a half. I'm like, well, I guess I get to stay living where I'm at, and it's weird to own a house and still be renting, but it's like it makes it makes more financial sense. And that, then I moved into the house. I lived there for about three years, and when I decided to move, like the housing market still wasn't great. We we were only maybe what a year and a half past the crash. Wow. It was rebounding, but it wasn't great. So like that, the house when when I bought it, I paid like twenty two thousand for it it was worth about about a hundred pre crash. And like when I went to sell it, like it's, it was still only worth maybe 25 or 30 
It's like, well, I don't want to sell it for that because, like, I know it's going to go back to what it was worth. So I put renters in it, let the renters live there about five and a half years, and and then sold it for a big profit once the market re- rebounded. But nice. in the meantime, I had renters in there, and for a while, I had picked up a couple other rental properties here and there. But I really didn't like being a landlord, especially with my day job taking up so much time, and then trying to do the Comic Con scene on the side and getting more into the design stuff at the time. And, yeah, you know, rental property is great when you're just collecting the check every week or every month. <laughs> yeah. They start breaking stuff, and you got to fix it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because that was something I was thinking about lately. Is uh, if we have another crash in the fall uh, due to different things going on, um, you know, pretty much using kind of like your model of buying during the market crash, renting them out until house you know, the house prices kind of get back to where they were pre-crash and then, and then selling them. Cause I, um, I remember we talked about one time, I'm like, that's genius. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I think that's when we became best friends. <laughs> well, the, the problem is you just have to have the money to afford it when the, when the market crashes, cause the bank isn't going to give you a loan on three or four houses at once. Oh, exactly. During a crash. But like if you, if you buy in the right cities where when they crash, they go down into the like 15, 20,000 a piece. And they're still not in bad neighborhoods. Like you might be able to afford to buy a couple houses all at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, the tricky part now. Everything I see that uh, you know um, is a pretty low price where I know I can run it out and make money. Uh, it's not somewhere I want to go and try and collect money all the time. You know, so, right, so you just need to hire yourself a, a manager. Yeah, we'll go do it for you. Exactly. Or uh, an enforcer <laughs> to, to kind of go collect my money for me. <laughs> you know, one, one of our previous episodes, we actually had Mark Raymond on who that's his, his business is uh, TMI Realty. He does uh, project mm-hmm. property management company services. That's probably what I do is hire a property management place to, to kind of oversee it all. So I'm kind of more hands off in theory. <laughs> Well, my, my actual thought when I was in real estate was to buy a bunch of the houses that were like near where I was living mm-hmm. and then still hire a manager. But that way I could keep an eye on stuff as well. And I could just be like, hey, th- they're not cutting their grass and tell the manager to go tell them to cut it. <laughs> stuff like that. Like I w- They would never know I was the owner. <laughs> they would just think you're like a really nosy neighbor. <laughs> right. Like they would never have to know that, that I was actually their landlord. Just but like I that way I could keep an eye on things, make sure they weren't really tearing it up. You'd be doing undercover landlord. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. That'd be awesome, though. You just see Dave with like binoculars, looking at the neighbors, seeing what they're doing. Or and then, like, do anything about it? Because if they called the police or whatever to complain, I could just show them de- landlord, you know, deeds. Yeah, like I own it. They can't stop me from looking. Oh, exactly. They they see you looking with binoculars, and then like five minutes later, they get a phone call from the property management company <laughs> about not mowing the yard. <laughs> It was a good theory because, like, like the how, like where I live now, there's like the other end of the block, like, like so maybe like three blocks down from me. Mm-hmm. There, there's like four apart, like four little six apart apartment apartment buildings that were for sale, and I thought about trying to buy those, like, because I drive past them every day, like, but like, it's just not worth it to deal with all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I, th- yeah. I think over the course of the five years I was renting out that house, by the time you pay for everything, you know, the because down down in Ohio where I where the property was. I was still responsible for the water bill as well as taxes and some other stuff. Oh yeah. By the time you pay for the, for the structure insurance and the water bill and the taxes and everything. And then like the repairs on the properties, like 
I only made maybe five or ten thousand dollars a year, and it was a lot of work for not a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. But that also could be that I'm not much of a handyman and couldn't fix a lot of things myself, so I was always paying people to do it. Yeah. You know, if you if you have the skills to do a lot of the repairs yourself, you probably save a lot of money in that in the, in that aspect. Yeah, that's true. We're we're doing a lot of like home renovation here, and uh, uh, sometimes I'll try to do it myself, and then I kind of get in too deep, and then I have to call someone anyways. And man, some of the prices to do stuff is insane. <laughs> like a hot water tank, uh, ours went out. I'm like, I should do it myself, and then I chickened out because I'm like, I don't want to work with a bunch of gas and blow myself up and everything uh so we we call the guy to come do it it was like 1200 bucks for a water tank that seems a little high yeah it was i think i only paid like 1600 to have my furnace and central air replaced here at the house i'm in now and that was including buying the unit wow really that's incredible that seems pretty cheap because i've been looking at trying to get the hvac put in the attic in this house because we live in one of those Situations where the, the, the basement gets, uh, you could hang meat in the basement. And the <laughs> middle, middle level seems fine, and we're just sweating up here in the upstairs. So uh, I'd love to get the HVAC put in the attic and then have all the, the air just coming down naturally as cold air sinks. Yeah. Well, that sounds like you need to run the actual uh, ventilation and all that too, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, th- this was literally just to replace the unit that was already existing. Oh, okay. So literally, so literally just an install. Okay, yeah. swapping it out. Yeah. So everything was already piped and all the electrical was there. They were just swapping it out. Right. Pro- probably something I could have done, but I didn't want to risk it. Oh, I hear you. That's how I am anymore. You know, in my 20s, I would do all this stuff. Like I did water, hot water tank in my 20s, and I didn't think nothing about it because, you know, you're in your 20s. You don't think about, you know... Uh, gas or anything blowing you up. So <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. You know, now I'm I'm probably too cautious. But uh, yeah, uh, speaking of the heat, it's been so hot lately. We don't have central air here yet. Uh, so it got me thinking about stocks. Like, uh, you know, so I started checking out some of the stocks for like uh, air condition, like uh, companies that sell air conditioning and stuff. And uh, a lot of them are doing really well right now. I should have uh, <laughs> should have bought some uh, some Honeywell like a couple of weeks ago or something. Oh yeah, I bet. See, that's one of the things that I like. It never even occurred to me to look up something like like Honeywell. So <laughs> yeah. So how about you, Dave? Do you do uh, any any stock market speculation or trading or anything? Or I used to dabble a bit. I I, I made some good choices in in my. Uh, 20s and then i made some bad choices in my late 20s and decided i wasn't as smart as i thought i was (laughs) i hear you like i I bought a crap ton of google when it ipo'd and held on to it for like nine years oh dang oh nice like i spent my life savings buying google stock that that, you know when it ipo'd and then held on to it forever and made it made a ton of money but over the course of like all the other bad decisions i made i probably lost more than i made oh (laughs) (laughs) No, I hear you there. I, I call that the uh, genius brand effect. Oh. <laughs> when I make one bad decision, it wipes out any good decision I mean. <laughs> yeah, we, we kind of have a recurring theme on this show about genius brand stock because we've both had our ups and downs with it, and it's usually always downs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm so waiting for an up with that stock. Well, yeah, I, we should, huh? I was going to say, I do follow a lot of when, when when you post on Facebook about your investments, and I realize like I should just not buy that stuff. 
I know, right? <laughs> Which you always try to say in the show, don't take our advice. We're not financial advisors. We're just kind of learning this along the way and sharing our experience. Yeah, I, I used to follow a lot. Like uh, I, I followed along with my uncle a lot, but he, he would invest a lot more than I would. Um, he, he was a retired former uh, president of several divisions of Firestone Tires. He just had a lot more money to play with than I did. Oh, nice. Um. Like like when the when the crash hit in 08, he lost you know like twelve million dollars in an in an in an afternoon. Really? He's like, well, I'm never gonna have twelve million dollars, and you're worried about losing it. <laughs> oh man. Um. So I, I followed a lot of like stuff he would tell me at times. I'm like, well, clearly, and what I realized is like he wasn't any smarter about it than I was. He just had more money where he could afford to lose it. So it's like, yeah, he was making all these like really good investments, but just because he was investing in everything, like he was making just as many bad ones. Oh, okay. So he, so he might have been actually kind of more breaking even at some point than probably. Making, making anything. Yeah, probably. But you know, he 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 lived in you know seventy five million dollar mansion. Hmm. Like, so it's like, well, clearly he's doing something right. And more more so, it was just he had a really good day job. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you get uh, sometimes uh, you get lucky and get a good day job, and and you don't have to to do all the side hustles we do. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's exactly where it happened with him because like he retired from Firestone right before that big like recall. What was that? Twenty years ago or so now, but oh yeah, like, he got out right before that company went back went down. <laughs> oh, nice. So he timed it out perfect. Then he got out of there right before it happened. Did he have a lot of stock in there that he uh, had to sell off when he left? Or I'm not entirely sure in that, but what I do know is like he had just bought the house. He had made like six payments, and part of his retirement package was they paid off his house and and his two brand new cars. And oh dang, oh nice. <laughs> like yeah, okay. So you buy a mansion and make like six payments or less, and then they're just like, oh, you're gonna retire here. We'll pay it off for you. Oh man, I uh, I gotta renegotiate some stuff with my day my day job now. <laughs> They'll get off easy. My house is pretty cheap. <laughs> yeah, well, he li he lived on a private golf course in North Carolina on, on the 18th green. Oh, nice. That only, would be only in, only in America can you uh, can an average person kind of get to, get to those levels though. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, he he was born in Monroe, Michigan, and you know, the the fifth kid of, of seven in a in a poor Depression era household. Like he he did it right. Nice. But he was also a really really hardcore conservative that I didn't get along with well for a while. Yeah, yes, you know it is with family. Sometimes it's uh, you know, never talk about politics at the. Uh, at uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner. Yeah. I try not to talk about politics with anybody these days. Yeah. yeah no kidding. You never know how bad it's going to get. And it's just like, yeah, it's, that's the waters you don't want to wade in. Well, even if you agree with people, like if you don't agree with every, like the right to the exact word, you're going to get in trouble these days. Oh, yeah. Cancel culture at its worst. Yeah. That is yeah. true. Yeah, you know, be, be, being that my day job, I run a newspaper in one of in one of the most diverse cities in the country. Like you see that a lot. Yeah. So, um, any other big projects you're kind of working on, uh, on at your side hustles or anything? Um, I do have a couple books coming out this year, but I don't expect to make any money on them. As, as you know, there's there's no money in publishing books. That's true. Uh, yeah. as, as Eric already <laughs> mentioned, the margins are low. But on top of that, like. 
not only are the margins low, but like nobody really wants them. Yeah. Like, well, like, like I, unless you're gonna publish a Marvel or a DC book, like nobody really cares who Dave Herndon is in the publishing world. <laughs> oh, they will now because you're on our show. Yeah. <laughs> now you'll be a household name. Maybe maybe we should write a book about this. Yeah. Yeah. How not to invest. <laughs> Every chapter I'll have to write, though, because I'm horrible at it. <laughs> well, at, the, at the end of the day, though, the point is, is still trying to learn. And eventually, if you if you keep that mindset and you try to learn to do the right things, you'll you'll eventually get there in some things. Uh, the The only way you lose is when you give up. Truly, exactly. Yeah, I, uh, you know, like some of the my portfolio and stuff. Some of it's not looking the greatest right now. I'm showing a lot of red. But, uh, you know, I'm learning and adapting and trying new strategies and uh, especially with uh, stock market stuff and investing. Um, I, a lot of it depends on your personality type. Like I get really kind of skittish about when stocks go up and down. So uh, I tend to just do more blue chips or something with like a, a dividend yield. That way, if it's down, I don't have to worry because I'm like, oh, it's down a dollar, but I'll get a dollar in dividends this year. So it's fine. Um, but like, for example, my wife, she has no fear. She'll like, you know, buy 20 shares of something on a day trade. And, uh, she's kind of, um, kind of a risk taker. And then she'll, she'll make money at it. Cause she has no fear. Whereas me, I'm like, Oh, it, it, it's going back down. I'll sell it and make a quarter a share or something. <laughs> yeah. And that makes it difficult because you, when you get into certain things like long plays, like I'm, I'm pretty in, deep in the weeds on ideonomics and I can't afford, you know, I, I can't afford to do that knee jerk reaction because the losses would be too high. Exactly. But from what I've learned about the company, about what they're producing, um, they're not only handling production, but they're handling the energy production and sales. And they're a conduit for other manufacturers to have a sales base and a showroom as well. So they've got all the right parts and they've got some big chip hedge fund investors that have just signed on. So they have all the right parts to be a 20 or $30 stock within a year's time. So I've just got to kind of ride these ups and downs and just some days you just don't look at your portfolio until after hours. Yeah. <laughs> I call those days most of June, <laughs> <laughs> the last two weeks. <laughs> and we still never know what's going to happen because the Fed is printing money like crazy. And, and the Fed's always printed money ever since we got off the Bretton Woods standard. It's just been monopoly money paper and the dollar keeps depreciating downward and downward. And that's why the price of gold keeps going up. And, you know, silver is pretty much artificially depreciated right now because it should be a lot higher in comparison to gold historically. And it's still it's hovering at like $17, $18 for an ounce. So there's a lot of things that are at play that none of it we have in control over. So it's just kind of, you know, close your eyes and throw a dart and hopefully you'll you'll hit something. Uh, but But one thing's for sure is, if we rely on the system that, you know, they want the masses to have, which is just the fiat paper currency, go put your money in the bank and trust that it's going to be there. I'm not so sure that that's going to be, that's going to happen, you know? So that's why I kind of try to diversify my investments. I've got some silver and some gold uh, and the stocks, um, uh, yeah, big chip EFTs through acorns and just try to do lots of different little things to where, if one scenario hits, I've still got some little bit of a nest egg over here. 
uh, things like the Glint program, like Glint Pay, where you can buy fractional gold and then use it, uh, MasterCard, to spin that. You know, that's going to have value when the paper dollar finally bottoms out and hits zero. So, you know, you just try to do a lot of diverse different things and, and try to play your cards right, I guess. I finally got my silver in the mail today. Did you really? That's yeah. Yeah. It was supposed to be here uh, last week. I finally got it today. It's a lot smaller than what I thought. It sounded a lot bigger <laughs> in my mind, you know, but um, it, it's cool. It's a, the beginning of my my silver hoard <laughs> that I'm going to start. Eventually, maybe I'll, I'll have a gold hoard, but uh, uh, with the price of gold, I think it's going to be a while before I get any gold. <laughs> yeah. And, and that looks to, looks to shoot up too. So, but yeah, again, the fractional investment—that's where—that's where it's at for people in our situation. Because mm -hmm. I can't afford afford one Bitcoin, but I can buy lots of little bits of, of Bitcoin, and watch that asset appreciate. And I can buy silver, still affordable. So that's why mm -hmm. I'm gun hoeing silver. With Glint, you can do fractional gold. So that's another good way. Stocks, we'll be able to buy fractional shares of companies like Amazon. And I like fractional investment in Amazon. That thing's consistently always growing, and they just topped over three grand a share today. Nice. Uh, and and I, I saw a news article, uh, I think it was a Barron's article, that uh, uh, the speculators can't keep up with Amazon stock right now to uh, to even forecast it. So, uh, and I think they've got a lot more announcements that they, because I really think that they're looking at J.C. Penney's. They may uh, there may still be a play there with AMC Theaters. There's lots of different rumors that you just never know, you know, what's going to hit until it does hit. And oh, exactly. Your investment to pop. Now I sent you a video on silver because, for those of you, uh, you know, listening, uh, TJ decided to buy silver from a skeevy auction site. <laughs> it wasn't even eBay. It was like some sort of used car salesman website auction. And uh, I'm glad you actually received it in the mail, but you paid a bit of a high premium, didn't you? Yeah, uh, it was on an auction site, and I kind of misunderstood between ounces and grams. <laughs> so um, I thought it was getting a really good deal. Uh, wasn't as good as I thought, um, but yeah, and I, it had me worried because it said it was supposed to be here on the first, and then it wasn't here. So I was checking the tracking like every other day because they gave me tracking info. So I was checking every day, and. Uh, it was nearby, but it wasn't delivered yet. And I was like, oh my gosh, am I am I getting this? Did I fall for a scam? You know? And uh, but yeah, it, it finally came today. Um so uh it's the beginning of my my silver collection. Um we were uh I was gonna ask you about I've heard of silver stacking. Is that is stacking applicable to to gold too, and and what exactly is stacking when it comes to precious metals? There's two ways to really well, three if you include the mining stocks. But if you're just looking at physical coins and physical bars, there's two ways of investing in precious metals. You can invest where it's you're you're buying like rare coins or proofs, uh, something you think is going to really appreciate in value, or you can stack it, which is basically using it to fund your own bank. Uh, this is a, more of a store of wealth. So, and, and the term is basically like stacking coins one on top of each other. And really good things to do for that is your traditional silver eagles, your silver maple leaves. Uh, same for gold as well, but we're talking about, you know, uh, paycheck to paycheck income. 
So <laughs> with, with silver, you know, the, 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 the actual minted coins for countries, uh, Australia's, um, Britain's, Britain's got a really nice design on it too. Uh, those uh, all have, you know, their, their purity, the amount on them stamped, and they're issued by governments. So they're backed by the governments. And uh, you know, they're, they're a really good investment for you. Now, if you don't want to pay the higher premium on those, you can go with silver rounds. Uh, rounds are basically non-government minted coins. Uh, and you can get a lot of fun coins. Like I saw there was a James Bond coin. Uh, there's some Marvel Comics themed coins. And again, this is, a, this, is a, this is a regular minted coin. It's kind of a novelty coin, but it does have that. This is an ounce. This is 999 pure. Uh, it has that information on it. And uh, silver bullion dealers will buy that back from you in a heartbeat because it's, it's something that's uh, guaranteed. And that goes with bars as well. You can get some pretty cool bars that might have a dragon on them for commemorating a new year or commemorating a presidency or uh, like some of the um, foreign coins, uh, like the year of the rat, there was a coin for that. And uh, there's some Mexican ones uh, too. And they just have different themes on them, but those those are your, your rounds. And then you can buy junk silver, which are coins that were minted pre-1964, I think. Uh, that contain at least 90% silver. You often buy those in giant bags. You can buy uh, buy them by the pound almost. And you can get, that's where you get your lowest premium price. And the premium is basically, you've got the spot price, which is what the physical metal is worth in ounces. And then you have the premium on top of that, which is what, that, that that's the, covers the cost of the bullion dealer, the mint, uh, the designer of the plating and all that, you know, it's, it's the added cost on making it into a really cool looking coin. And uh, so you really want to try to, to get as low of a, a premium price as you can. And that means buying more than one coin. Like for example, Jane Bullion, where I get most of mine, you're looking at a, a silver uh, Liberty Eagle uh, coin, looking at about $25 a coin. If you buy more than 20 of those, you can get that down a couple of bucks per coin. If you go on eBay, you can buy the rounds at near $20, closer to that spot price. And that's kind of where you, you want to look. Uh, the one thing, if, you, if you're not looking as a store of wealth, then you're looking at historical coins, uh, things that come up in auction. You're going to pay a lot higher premium on them. And uh, there's no guarantee that if you needed to sell this to live in a post-apocalyptic scenario, uh, that you're gonna, you're not gonna get that premium back. You're just gonna get the flat, uh, what the metal's worth. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. I'm not looking at coins that are collectible items. I'm looking at a store of wealth where I can take my fiat paper currency that'll be worth nothing eventually, and while it's worth something, turn it into physical money that's always gonna be worth something. So that's kind of the game plan. And the video that I sent you uh, kind of. Uh, does a really good job of explaining that. So hopefully you've had a chance to watch it. Yeah, yeah. And it it was while I was listening to it while I was working, so it's uh uh kind of hard to like you know like kind of soak it all in because yeah. you know um, multitasking and stuff. So I have to kind of rewatch it and kind of <laughs> put more because uh, it was interesting. Like found myself like I kind of stopped working for a second and 
And uh, I was listening to it, so I was like, well, I, I got to give this like an honest watch when I can focus on it. And, and uh, you know, I actually watched the video instead of just listening to it playing in the background. And there's some silver rounds out there that I think you'll enjoy, some historical themed ones. Mm-hmm. I noticed there's one that's a Mayan calendar that uh, that seems like it might be right up your alley, too. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be really cool. <laughs> Cool. Well, we're almost out of time. Uh, we usually try to keep these under an hour, 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, Dave, did you have anything else that you wanted to pimp? Where can people, uh, you say you uh, still selling online, where can people find your pins and your other uh, uh, things that you uh, make and sell? Well, I do have a Facebook page for my business. It's just Turtle Trinkets Jewelry. I rarely use it anymore. Okay. Just because I wasn't seeing a lot of engagement there, but it, it's easily found that I can be reached through there. Um, I do have lots of different sales sites. I just started an Etsy account uh, this week. I started a new one because uh, I had shut it down for a while and this, that, and the other. I kind of forgot the password, but I don't want to tell people <laughs> that. Uh, so it's called Pin Pals Shops with a Z okay. on Etsy. Um, I literally just started it yesterday. I have uh, four sales already uh, this morning, though. So nice. it started off, started off with a bang there. Uh, all of my custom enamel pins that I still have in stock are listed there. A couple of cups, a couple of uh, acrylic keychains. Um, I will have more listed there as time goes along. I, I have seven or eight new pins in the works um, that'll be posted within the next two weeks. Um, th- those are probably the two best places. Uh, if you want to just chat with me about anything, you know, I'm, I'm available on Facebook or Twitter easily. NHDaveH at um, on Twitter. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Okay. Sounds good. And uh, well, I think our other guest, the dog in the background. <laughs> yeah, my, my little chihuahua is quite a yapper. Uh, the, the, the rest of the household is out at the pool and he doesn't like being alone. Uh, oh. poor, poor guy. I'm just happy it's not my dog for once. <laughs> <laughs> That, uh, that, that's actually, if anybody knows me from conventions, that's uh, the service dog that comes with me all the time. Awesome. You, you, oh, yeah. you, you, you never know he's that at a show. Like when, when he's working, he's fantastic, but he's locked away from, from the person he's supposed to be working for and he doesn't like it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. Well, we'll let you get, we'll let you get back to him. Cause we have run out of time. Uh, I want to th- thank you for uh, coming on Dave again. That was Dave Herndon. He's got uh uh, pen pals on uh, well, it was pen pals on Etsy that you just yes. opened up. Okay, so uh, please check that out. We'll try to have a link down there in the description of the video on the YouTube site for you as well. And again, if you want to pick up some free stocks either through Robinhood or Weeble, we'll have links for that as well. And I do recommend the Glint, uh, GlintPay.com for buying fractional gold. Um, it's a, it's a good way to to put some actual money in a place that you can use it and spend it. And uh, it'll be a good hedge against the eventual crash of the dollar, which I'm fairly certain is coming because you can't just keep printing money and, and not have a collapse. That's history shows us that over and over again. Uh, TJ, did you have anything else? Uh, not much. Uh, you know, as, as Eric was saying, uh, uh, we have I think we have links in our show notes to sign up for Robinhood or Weeble. So uh, make sure you do that. Uh, my niece recently got Robin Hood, so I'm really proud of her. She picked out really good stocks. Uh, my portfolio is almost all in the red, and hers is just all green. So she's doing amazing. And uh, she got a free stock, and I got a free stock for, for her signing up. So uh, definitely uh, check out 
Robinhood Weeble, use our, our links too, so you get uh, some free stacks when you sign up. All right, and that's going to do it for us today. Thank you again. We will be back on the air on Saturday and kind of recap uh, this week, which has been off to a bang in some ways and kind of off to a bum in some others. And uh, we will catch up with you then. Uh, until then, this has been Broke Money Hustle. Thank you for listening. This is Broke Money Hustle. And now, here's Broke Money Hustle with Tricolor Air.